www.radiosideways.com podcast. Here is your host, TJ Buffenbarger. Thank you, Beth. Hello, world. Welcome to another edition of the TJSlideways.com podcast. A little later in this program, we're going to have Anton Hernandez on to discuss his plans during the entire USAC Sprint Car Tour for the 2020 season. So Anton Hernandez, kind of an interesting story uh, coming from Texas and now is uh, living in Indiana preparing for his rookie year with the USAC Sprint Cars. But joining me in the co-host seat again this week in via the Engine Pro Studios, Trevor Hollis on the line. Trevor, how are you? I'm good, TJ. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, yeah. Managing to stay warm in this very uh, fall, I use air quotes, fall weather we're having. I'm trying my best, trying my best. It's, uh, it's, yeah, I wasn't ready for it. It happens every year. We should be ready for it, but it's a little earlier than uh, normal up here in the state of Michigan than when we normally get. Usually we're good up to and maybe including Thanksgiving, but this year Mother Nature said, no, you know, the cities haven't even come through and taken the leaves off the side of the road. We're going to just cover them in about nine inches of snow. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think you guys may have gotten a little worse. We were like four. We're three or four inches. I There were snow days in the southwest part of the state this week. Yeah, over the crazy. thumb, too. Over oh, the thumb of the state. Geez, that's just brutal. I, imagine already having snow days, and you're not even like into, into uh, really the beat of <laughs> November yet. That's pretty brutal. So uh, let's warm things up a little bit, though. Let's talk some sprint car racing because uh, talking winter is way too depressing for me. So right. let's do this. Uh, you know, last week... With the World of Outlaws finale, we made bold predictions that Donnie Schatz was going to win the championship. Trevor, we were wrong. We were both very wrong. Um, Brad Sweet, man, what a run. I was watching some of the highlights from the Dirt Vision coverage, and uh, and uh, he had a lot of adversity thrown at him during that feature event, and he was able to overcome all of it. Won the championship by four points. Uh, TJ, I know you watched the race uh, live as it happened. What were your thoughts on it? You know, when shots got by him, man, I was, I didn't know what we were going to be seeing. Uh, it, it was amazing to watch. You know, usually more often than not, the championship's an afterthought at this point in the year at the World of Outlaws. When you get to the last race of the year, it's usually decided. And even some of the ones that have been close haven't really been that close. Had to be pre exceptional circumstances for it to swing. This was literally, for the most part, going to be whoever finished ahead of the other one. You know, with with a couple spots, uh, it was interesting when gravel took off because that you get four points uh, for a win between first and second. All the other positions are two points a position, so that kind of took that extra points out of play. So you're kind of watching and seeing how things were were uh, um, playing out. To me, that's the first time I've seen in a few weeks that Brad Sweet was racing to win instead of not to lose, and I think that was a huge part of it. Yeah, and and he had like you said the adversity, the car that spun out right in front of him oh, there uh, about halfway through that feature event. He had to get around that, and, and what I was thinking is, okay, you know, here's here's where I think your ten time or nine time champion Donnie Schatz would be able to shake that off and say, all right, I know what I've got to do, just got to hit my marks and stuff. Brad Sweet showed a lot of uh, a lot of guts and a, and a lot of focus there to get around that and and move on and know what he had to do. You know, it's it's racing. You're you're trying to race a, a track. You're trying to race the other cars on it. But you're also in the back of your mind thinking, here I am going for my first ever World of Outlaw Championship, and um, I got to imagine that entire Casey Kane Racing crew uh, edge of their seats the whole race. Brad Sweet, congratulations! Uh, what a what a run, and he had a really great season. Uh, he I I think I heard his name more than I've 
then I heard Shots' name over the course of the year. So it, it didn't surprise me that he was going to be the guy battling with Donnie Shots for the championship. But at the same time, anytime somebody is within shouting distance of Donnie Shots at the uh, at the Dirt Dirt Nationals, Dirt Finals there, um, it's just still surprising. Yeah, it, it, you know, Sweet showed us glimpses of this towards the end of last year. And he kind of wondered if he'd be able to carry it over into the night, the 2019 season. He did. I mean, they, they, that was a strong season beginning to end. Uh, you know, they did probably make, you know, it was a little closer towards the end than they probably thought it would be or would want it to be. I mean, at one point, it kind of looked like this thing might be over. Like, Sweet had a pretty decent lead going. And then, man, shots started eating him up towards the end of the year. And you're like, man, how is this going to? go and yeah and 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 it's kind of amazing you know he's it's it's an amazing you couldn't write a more storybook like career story like if you were to pause brad sweet's career right now from the kid that came from california to indiana with a pickup truck and a little trailer sleeping on people's couches to winning a world of outlaws championship winning knoxville nationals winning king's royals getting a shot at NASCAR for a moment and winning a lot of other big races along the way. I mean, you couldn't even write something that good, even if you really tried. Well, how many times have we heard that story? No matter how things change, no matter how the sport evolves and becomes more of a, you know, a a data driven sport with engineers and, and car trick cars and all that stuff. That's the narrative of sprint car racing for the last 30, 40 years. Guys coming with an open trailer, heading into the Midwest, going where the racing is to get seat time, to get lap time, to get different types of track experience, and then coming out of nowhere. Not necessarily that Brad Sweet came out of nowhere, but but just becoming the best in the business at what they do. Yeah, and believe me, when you met Brad Sweet, you, you knew he had determination, but... I don't know if we saw this initially, and it's uh, yeah. he's evolved into one of our brightest stars, and it looks like he's going to be for a while. So it's going to be awesome. And it'll be awesome to have that rivalry, too, with shots here. It'll be kind of, you know, there, there's enough of an age difference where it's like Sweet's on his way up, and, and shots, you know, it's probably just towards the end of his prime at this point. So, I mean, you know, it'll be interesting to watch how that evolves. So uh, congratulations yeah, to Brad, and uh, yeah, it's a great deal. So speaking of uh, up and coming stars and some of the young guns in the sport of racing, what do you think? What do you make of the news that David Grabel is going to be dabbling in the NASCAR Truck Series a little bit this next year, TJ? Yeah, I don't know that much about GMS Racing, who he's going to drive for in the Truck Series, because I'm, you know, usually when the truck races are on, I'm busy covering sprint car races. So I mean, I'm not as in tune with the truck racing as I used to be. So I don't know what the quality of the equipment's going to be like and whatever else. I don't picture David getting in a position where he's going to be in a bad car, though. Especially coming off of a season like this he's had with the World of Outlaws, sweeping the World Finals, you know, getting his 50th career win, winning the Knoxville Nationals. I mean, gravel with Jason Johnson racing was stellar all year. I don't think he would leave that opportunity, you know, go to a, or miss races in that opportunity, which we'll talk about in a second, um, to get in a bad truck. Yeah, and, and you know, what I think is a little bit interesting is the team that he's joining has so much diversity in it. So from one of the articles I was reading about it, because uh, I'm I'm like you, I'm in the same boat. I don't know a lot about the uh, team. I don't watch a lot of the NASCAR truck stuff, to be honest with you, um, but I was doing a little bit of research before this podcast. One of the other drivers on his team that's going to be running more of a full schedule, Sheldon Creed, who comes from the off-road truck world. So 
man, there's just a lot of diversity and a lot of dirt racing experience, handling a, a car, you know, driving a car and not just being a passenger and letting the car drive you that, that, that team can benefit from. So I'm sure it'll help David have a good season and, uh, and we'll see if this leads to anything else. I know, uh, one of the people that was really big and behind him in this Jeff Gordon, uh, who was at the Knoxville nationals also talked highly of David gravel on the most recent open red podcast that he was on. So he's got that going for him. I mean, who better could you get advice from than one of the greatest NASCAR drivers in the history of the sport? And also a guy that's that does done well, uh, Alf away from the track as well within the yep. business world. So, I mean, you know, full picture, that's the guy you want in your corner. It's still up to David to execute, obviously. Uh, it'll be interesting to me to see how it goes with Jason Johnson racing with him missing various shows to see what the moment, if they're able to still carry the momentum in 2020. I think there's a strong enough base there with that team. I think they'll be fine. Um, they'll still run well. It'll be interesting, though. They might not be quite as strong as they were this year just because of the, but we'll have to see how the continuity works out. And also, who might be filling in the seat when uh, David's not there? I, I don't know. I, I really don't because there are so many of those journeyman drivers right now that don't have a solid home. I mean, you, there's certain drivers that you know that they're just going to be there. You know, you know, Donnie Schatz is going to be in the Tony Stewart racing car. You know, Brad Sweet's going to be in the Casey Kane car. But, you know, some of those other guys, what are they going to do? You know, I think of a guy like um, Selzies. Oh. Could one of those guys fill in? Do they want experience or do they want – do they want somebody that maybe they could mold and have some of the crew members work with? You talked off of the air before we started recording about um, the work that some of the behind-the-scenes guys do, and, and no matter who gets in the car, they're fast. So would they would they look at a, a Selzy type of driver well, or a Koi type of driver? Well, Dominic is, uh, has already got Jimmy Carr. They hired him for the family team for next year, so that that's out for Dominic. Gio, we'll have to see what he ends up doing. You know, I'm – you know, we'll have to see what direction he goes in. He might be, and uh, same with Kofoid. I don't know if we'll see both of those guys in sprint cars as much next year. You know, we'll have to wait and see. It's, you know, the thing that's going to be tricky with that part-time deal is the big races. One of the things that Gravel mentioned is, hey, look, I still want to run the big shows. I have to run those, like the Knoxvilles and the Kings Royals. You know, if they're not going to you know, field two cars, do you take that opportunity knowing you're not going to have a ride for the Kings Royal, you're not going to have a ride for the Knoxville Nationals, right. or do they roll out two cars because, hey, look, I'm, you know, we're doing this, you know, for you, or I'm driving for you. Can I at least get in the big, the big shows? Is there a person that kind of runs a schedule that that might fit? I mean, it's kind of a, it's a very interesting story. I mean, it could be a great opportunity for somebody. I mean, that is a really strong car. Uh, Philip Dietz is a great crew chief. I mean, it even do you, if you're a younger guy and they reach out to you, do you take the flyer knowing you're only getting 15, 20 shows? You're maybe doing some more on your own. I don't know. That's going to be one of the more interesting questions of the offseason for sure. Is is it is it necessarily a guarantee that it's going to be a young driver too? I mean, I can see maybe a guy. You know, would you throw Jack Honshield for for a, a one week swing through Pennsylvania? I don't know. And, I, and no, he's available, not, or Sammy Swindell. You know, somebody like that. You know, Sammy's driven for them in the past. That would be probably more likely than a uh, uh, than a Honshield. Just knowing the group and kind of what they look for. Um, you know, talking to some of the crew guys, kind of gotten a feel for what they look for in a driver. 
it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out, though. I think that's that's going to be my leading storyline and probably going into next year's who's going to be the part-time person in that seat. Sure. So we finished off one championship. We're getting ready to finish off another one this week. The USAC National Sprint Car Series is going to Arizona for two nights of racing. And C.J. Leary leading Tyler Courtney by 44 points. A little more of a gap than we had going in the World Outlaws program. Still possible for Sunshine to catch Leary. Uh, if, if Leary were to stumble, I think Sunshine would be right there. Uh, uh, Trevor, we were wrong last week. Do we dare make picks <laughs> again this week? Or, or do we just play that we're going to be wrong? You know, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. That's a, that's a lot of points to make up. When you look at the strength of the field, you know, you look at just the strength of the top five in the uh, national sprint points between Leary, Courtney, you know, Brady Bacon, Kevin Thomas, and Chris Windham. They're pretty much, I think they are mathematically eliminated. But um, uh, the strength of the field in the USAC non-wing world is just incredible right now. So that... Four points, yeah, that that makes for an intriguing storyline. But when you're looking at 44 points separating them or 46 points, whatever it is, C.J. Leary just kind of has to hit his marks. But Tyler Courtney's been so consistent. Yeah, one thing that you got to keep in mind, too, is USAC pays heat race points. And there's some preliminary points available there, too. So, I mean, it's not their own possibility. I mean, I think it's going to take a big mistake for Leary to to, uh, – bobble this but at this point i mean you never know but i still i'm still going with larry i'll go stick my neck i say he finishes the deal yeah me too all right so yeah of course you know we'll, we'll do the opposite of what we did last week maybe we'll be wrong i don't know so <laughs> well tj uh you know i'm gonna bring this up and i'm sure that you're gonna give me a little bit of a hard time on this but you know one thing that we've not talked about in the, the you know last week or anything and then there has been some dirt racing news in it is um is the iRacing program now you're not an iRacer i get that but uh they added fairberry <laughs> so there's another dirt track to race on on the computer in a simulator i get it it's a video game um but uh what are your thoughts on that can i ask you an honest question Honest, yes. Yeah. All right. So you and I have known each other for a very long time. You have two kids, by the way. I do. And I have a kid. Too. I have one. Where in the world do you ever have time to do this? <laughs> you know, I don't do it real consistently. Um, I, I'll race a, a race or two. What you know, a day. The last two days I've had off of work for for a holiday and days off and stuff like that. I've done oh. some racing then, but most of it is just at night. I'll go down and I'll race one race and go to bed. You know, and just just play around. It's 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 pretty neat. Um, I did see on Twitter today. Um, I think it was David Gravel was actually asking about iRacing, wanting to get involved in it. Um, I don't know if you listen to the Dale Jr. podcast, but he talks a lot about iRacing. He's really close with it and actually kind of led a grassroots movement to get the iRacing people out to what was left of the North Wilkesboro Speedway so that they could map the track and get it ready. They might not, they've never, they haven't said if they're going to release it as a track, but one of the interesting things about that, you know, and it kind of fits in with another conversation we'll have a little bit later. We had off the air about Nashville is iRacing kind of has an opportunity to to keep some of these tracks that might not be around forever kind of in a in a computerized format. And I, I'm sure you've seen it now. I know you're not the type of guy that would just sit down and watch people race on iRacing. But my idea um, of watching a video game is waiting for player one to uh, to die in whatever level it is so player two can play on my Nintendo. I mean, so that, to date myself a little bit, just to know where we're <laughs> referencing from, but yes. Yeah, so. well, well, you know, you look at some of these tracks and, and, you know, it's expensive. It's not, it's not something you take under lightly, but 
could it potentially be a way for some of these tracks to live on? And you, I, I look at, a, you know, I'm, I'm sorry if I mispronounce it, but a Houston Speedway, that who knows what the future is going to hold for that track or Nashville. We just talked about off the air. Um, who knows what the future of the fairgrounds there. Could they have an opportunity to kind of, for all history, scan that track and put it into an iRacing program. Um, and, and a lot of the drivers across the country, you know, Larson and Christopher Bell and Rico Abreu, they've all talked about iRacing. Um, and now that they're getting a little bit heavier into the dirt world, um, it's very fun. It's very interesting to see what will come next. Maybe I'm failing at time management or something because I'm sitting here the whole <laughs> time. I'm just thinking to myself, okay, to play it, I get it. I mean, I, I, I used to play so – show you i'm not completely out of the out in left field here i used to play all of the nascar simulators and stuff and grand prix legends which is the base code for all the i racing stuff back in the uh-huh. day that's also before i had a wife a mortgage a kid a job with a little more responsibility than i had back then and and we were probably covering five states with the website instead of three continents so, you know, I'm probably a failure at time management to be able to enjoy this. But at some point, I made my choice since the website went over to the simulator. I can, about two, I can even tell you the day it happened. The last race I ran online, I was running a, a um, it must have been like one of the sprint car games on the computer with a bunch of buddies. I was actually winning and I had a, had a problem with my pedals sticking. And uh, I just never replaced them because I didn't really have time to deal with it. Cause, you know because racing and uh just i just like people like trevor be honest you sit there and you want someone play a video game like you actually watch people live okay i was i I was going to say i was going to watch it no okay all right well then i I won't give you too much i I look at it like this this is the closest i will ever get to having an opportunity to drive a real wing sprint car and you drove a sprint car though What's that? You drove a sprint car, though. I did. I drove a non-wing car one time, yes. But, you know, these – I'll never – let me rephrase that. I will never, ever get a chance to drive a wing sprint car at Eldora Speedway or Fairbury or Knoxville, um, which, you know, iRacing gives me that chance. <laughs> and, and just so you you're know, You're going to go a heck of a lot faster on iRacing than you're going to in the real thing. Just, yes. You, know. <laughs> you talked about your pedal sticking. That is still a problem for a lot of people that play iRacing right now. So you're not alone in that. Oh, well, okay. So it's, yeah, it's, it, <laughs> my word, I can't believe we're having this discussion. So <laughs> it, it's, you know, and no, you know, I'm not trying to make live it. The, the, you know, the guys at iRacing are great people. I think it's great what they're doing for the sport. And if you have time to iRace, I think it's awesome. I think you should do it all the time. Like get, get on with your basement man cave and do this. But I'm like, holy smokes. I just think about, I think my wife would literally kill me if I decided to take a buy racing because I know how I, I, I know how this would go down. Okay. I would be, it would start out with, okay, I've got my computer and my, I have a computer that would run it sitting right next to me here and it would turn into 3d goggles and yeah. a computer build with a racing seed. And then I'd probably disappear to the, to the office to hear my man cave for two or three days and not come up for air. And, uh, and, and <laughs> uh, no, I, I would be a dead man. I, by the, by about the, by the time I got to the, the seat and the pedals, and I didn't come up for air for about eight hours. Uh, I might not come up at all. So, <laughs> 
<laughs> so my final thought, and then we can change the subject to real oh, no. racing oh, topics. Oh no, I'm, I'm it, having fun, so you can, you can go you, on. But you you mentioned you mentioned the 3D goggles. The first time I tried eye racing, I did the 3D Oculus uh, deal at Eldora and clipped the front straightaway wall. Went went flipping. Not not unlike the uh, the wreck that um. Uh, Phil Gressman had a couple years ago at Eldora Speedway. I'm sure. Got, I'm sure it hurt so just nauseous. as much too. <laughs> Sorry. I got That's so funny. nauseous as I was flipping down the front straightaway with those 3D goggles on. I'm like, nope, this isn't for me. <laughs> yeah, I just, you know, I know how this would go for me, and, and uh, uh, it it would be it would be all consuming. Eventually, I would probably have to like, you know, something's got to give. But I'm still having too much fun riding and like monkeying around this whole website deal so and doing this podcast so that's gonna take precedence but hey you know more power to you if you're gonna go high racing have fun with it so yeah lastly the nashville fairground speedway uh essentially got i don't want to say got foreclosed on but they they avoided the contract of the promotional group running the racetrack there and you're probably wondering why are you talking about nashville speedway well because one of the most uh one of the biggest surprises out of the world of outlaw season this past year was how well that went over crowd wise. I, I, you know, and it, it was in a major market. Trevor, that it's a little questionable what might happen with that now. You know, to lose a market, you know, Nashville is one of those towns that's seemingly on the tip of everyone's tongue. It's like the bachelorette capital of the world now. <laughs> and I mean, it's always been a tourist destination, but it's becoming a real trendy one lately. It seems like a lot of people are going to Nashville a lot more than they used to. And, and I think to me, this, this could be a big loss for the sprint car community losing that market, because if they don't get in at Nashville at the fairgrounds, there's nothing real close to that market where you're going to be able to run. Well, you know, the unfortunate thing is it it sounds like another businesses taking over a fairground situation that don't really have a full understanding of the potential of it. You know, up here in the state of Michigan, a few years back, we were lucky enough to have um, the Ionia fairgrounds had some sprint car racing. And I thought the racing was was pretty okay, um, pretty decent, but it was just a business decision to not do it. Uh, People in Knoxville are extremely lucky that they they embrace it full fledged down there. Um, I just don't know enough about it, but my guess, if I, you know, if you're putting me up on the spot and saying, why did this happen? I would say, I don't know, a business decision that that just unfortunately isn't going to work in the favor of racing. Yeah, and, 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 and it's not just dirt; it's pavement too. It's 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 they're going to hurt with the pavement side of things too from this. Well, I imagine the weekly program they're struggling probably a little bit. You know, like a lot of other pavement programs, I don't know what their crowds were like or anything, but I doubt they were as full as they were for that World Outlaw race. You know, talking right. to people in the area said that was one of the biggest crowds they've seen there in a long time. And to me, the Nashville deal—it's a market you want to be in. And, and yeah, it's, it's sad to lose the history and everything of that racetrack. Absolutely, but just beyond that, looking looking at it from our aspect, and you know, going in there for a year, I looked at it as as yeah, the racetrack wasn't perfect, but man, what a market to be in! And you're putting your product in front of a full grandstand like that, a lot of people, and and it got a lot of attention. I thought, man, this is going to be something you could really grow on and maybe build a nicer, bigger racetrack there eventually, or do something. Do something there, and it looks like that is seriously in jeopardy now. And if, unlike a lot of other places where you could go down the road and maybe race somewhere else, there's just it's a big enough metropolitan area you can't get close to it again. And 
I think that's going to be a really, yeah. it's really sad to see him have that much success and uh, uh, see it go by the wayside. Hopefully something can be worked out, but, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to stay optimistic. I won't be making any hotel reservations, let's put it that way. Yeah, I'm right there with you. It, it doesn't sound good. Yeah, so. Well, Trevor, that's going to wrap our segment of this up. Thanks again for joining me again this week. Yeah, thanks, TJ. It's always great. I always get excited when you message me and say, let's talk sprint car racing because there's there's not a lot of it to watch anymore this time of year, so uh, we might as well talk about it. Yeah, unless I'm going to get up, which I've been doing in the middle <laughs> of the morning at Dervision. My, my sleep deprivation's on about uh, nil, so I'm going to go take a nap, and then uh, we're going to carry on with the show with Anton Hernandez. But, uh, Trevor, thanks for joining us. Thanks, TJ. Before I talk to Anton Hernandez, please don't forget to support the great people that help support TJSlideways.com, All-Star Performance, Engine Pro, and Maxim Chassis. Thank you for your support, guys. We really appreciate it. And now to our guest, Anton Hernandez. Anton Hernandez, first of all, congratulations. Big news uh, last week that you are going to be racing the entire USAC National Sprint Car Series in 2020 why don't you tell us a little bit about how that came together and what your plans are well um after uh winning our championship with the uh the, the 305 sprint car um they ended up selling out so i was kind of just talking to people and whatnot and trying to look for a ride and uh I was talking to this one guy and he was like hey well uh um baldwin the uh, ken baldwin he's start he's wanting to put a new team together and come back for the 2020 season, he was like, you should give him a hauler. He was like, I'll, I'm going to try to talk to him, and a few other guys are going to talk to him, see if we get the deal working. So I was like, uh, okay, well, send me his number, and I'll call him. And uh, so I got his contact information and called him up, and we got to talking. We talked for a good hour and a half. We got to have a good conversation, and um he wanted me to send him some videos of my races and whatnot, good and bad, just so he kind of get a, a full feel on how I was. And um, he watched them, and he watched them with a few other uh, other guys that he's friends with, and they came to the conclusion that they wanted to put me in the car. And so he calls me back and is like, "Hey, how quick can you get up here, up here to Indiana?" He's like, "Well." Um, I think I could fly out and or drive, whichever uh, you think's best. He was like, "Well, hell, we'll just fly around here and uh, get to. We'll talk to you and see how team." So I, um, I flew up here to Indy, and um, I've been up here for about two weeks now. So right now I'm just working for him, and uh, we got some parts ordered and whatnot, and uh, getting everything situated to go. But yeah, he he told me he wanted me to run for him for the 2020 season. With USAC, so that's that's the plan. That's a pretty awesome opportunity. Do you have someone turning the wrenches for you? Or are you making the calls on that? Well, he he doesn't like the term crew chief, so we're gonna we're we're finding a guy right now who knows everything about the cars and like setup and whatnot, and knowing how to adjust them and travel with us with the with with the full USAC deal one hundred percent. And me and the uh, uh, helper, we're going to make decisions on the setup and whatnot. Because I, I do my own setups also. So we'll just kind of put our two and two together and just go with what we think is best. But, but yeah, we'll just kind of work together and go from there. 
you mentioned the plan. Yeah, you mentioned your background in the 305 division, uh, which is just part of your background. You're a very interesting path to get to USAC Sprint Cars. I have to ask, I I kind of start perusing your bio. I noticed Arlington, Texas. This is the hometown. So how does a kid from Arlington, Texas, end up wanting to be a USAC racer? Well, um, well, it all started out um, with just me and my dad. Um, he asked me one day if I wanted to race go-karts because we were going to the the sprint car races out in Cowtown Speedway in Kennedale, Texas, and we were just uh, watching races uh, on Saturday nights, and we found out there was uh, go-kart races on Fridays. So my dad was like, hey, um, uh, there's this little go-kart deal. Let's go check them out. So we went. And that's when he asked me. So this was back in 2004. So he built me a cart in the winter, and uh, we ran three and a half horsepower beginner class. And I was racing with kids that's that were racing for two, three years, whatnot, and just just kind of a beginner deal. And we we're just doing it to have fun. So we signed up 2005, started going to the racetrack, and uh, um. My rookie year, we ended up winning the championship. There's uh, 25 races, and we won 13 of them. And at that time, we had no clue that there were, like, car owners or that you could go and race for people or anything like that. We were just kind of doing it for fun because I'm a first-generation driver, and we didn't know much about it. But we just kept going, and we uh, ended up winning a few more championships and whatnot. And uh, a guy named Rick Bailey, and uh, I think it was 2009 or 2010, he approached my dad and was like, hey, well, I have this micro, um, micro sprint that I want y'all to come check out. And at first, um, we thought he wanted to, he wanted us to buy it. And we were like, no, no, we're not interested. And he was like, no, 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 this is not one of those deals. He was like, just come over. We want you to look at it. So we go over there and, uh, we get to talking. He was like, Hey, well, I've been watching your son for the past couple of years and I'm really interested in putting him into my race car. He's like, you want to do it? I was like, well, yeah, hell yeah, we would do it. Um, cause we couldn't afford to run micros. We just could do go-kart stuff. So we, uh, we actually ended up selling our go-kart and I ended up starting, uh, running for Rick Bailey and started running a class modeling stuff mostly. And, we won uh, a decent amount of races, and since then, I've just been running for um, various car owners and started off in micros, and then I got connected with a guy named Roger Oaks. He had a midget, and 2015, he was a um, rookie car owner. I was a rookie driver in the midget division of Power West, and we went out and uh, won a championship, and then that opened up more opportunities to run uh, – I got connected with guys up in Indiana at AJ Felker and, um, 2016 got connected with Scott Petrie. And a lot of people don't know, I was, uh, I was Scott Petrie's first driver when he first got into midget racing. So ran for him for a bit. And then, uh, 2017, I ran three or four sprint car races, 305. And we won a big deal on that. And then, um, out of nowhere, some guy, uh, Andy Bradley, he messaged me on Facebook and was like, hey, you want to run the, the Tulsa shootout in my 1,000cc uh, mini sprint? And I was like, heck yeah, I'll hop in it. So we go down there and we ended up winning a driller. And um, the crew chief for that car, he was the crew chief for the sprint car out here in Indiana for that 305 deal. 
And um, after after we won it, he uh, he asked, he was like, hey, well, we have a sprint car out in Indiana. Do you want to come race it? And so I took that opportunity, and I um, I bought my dad's old truck. It was, a, it was a 2001 Ford Explorer, and I bought that thing for $500 and took my clothes my gear bag and went up to Indiana and started racing up there. And ran for those guys for two years, and then this year we picked up the uh, the race saver uh, championship, and then now after that we're running for uh, Ken Baldwin. So it's definitely been a crazy ride. Uh, we've never really had the money to buy rides or anything right like that. Just really had to work hard and kind of just uh, I don't know, just a lot of hard work and a lot of sacrifice to get where I'm at, but. Definitely uh, really thankful and grateful for my opportunities. But, yeah, it's been fun. I can't wait to see what we can do for next year. And you've done a variety of different things this year. You have you ran your 305 car that you talked about, won the championship. You've, you've driven a midget a few times, and you mm-hmm. even gotten an on-wing sprint car. So you have gotten opportunities this year. How did some of those things come about? Um, Basically, just um, – uh, we'd race 305 and at the track, I would talk to people and just kind of network. And even when I wasn't racing, I would go to the tracks every chance I had. And, uh, I would always be around talking to people and just trying to try to try to get rides and whatnot and just get connections basically. And, um, we get rides through other people, kind of third party type deal. And they throw me in their car and just kind of got rides like that. And then, uh, that's basically just all it was and we'd hop in and we'd do pretty well and then get called by another guy and just kind of escalated. But the biggest deal was just, uh, just, just calling people up and just asking really, cause you know, the first thing they say is no, but yeah, that's about it. Anton Hernandez talking to us here, being from Texas, why didn't you go maybe an ASCS route or maybe something more regional down that direction? What made Indiana appealing for you? Well, uh, when I ran for Rick Bailey, he actually used to race USAC back in the eighties, like TQs and midgets and whatnot. And, um, he kind of got me to be a non-wing fanatic and I've always loved non-wing racing. And, uh, it's always been my dream well, because growing up, I used to always watch those uh, those loud pedal videos on YouTube, those slow mos and those cool videos they used to make, and and uh, that's always been a dream to race up in Indiana. So I just uh, after high school, I was like, well, if I want to do it, I got to go up there. So I just uh, packed all my stuff and tried to go live the dream, and uh, seems to be working out pretty good. Uh, got pretty lucky throughout the way, but definitely a lot of hard work in between, but. Um, I just, it just how the opportunities presented themselves. So I just started to get more rides up North and just, just took them. So that's just kind of how that played out. You had a pretty standout performance during the Kokomo sprint car smackdown. You were the winner of the Kokomo rookie award in that race. How much did running that race, maybe run your, maybe raise your profile a little bit to, to get on the radar, maybe some of these sprint car teams a bit more. Well, uh, it's, uh, I, I did that and, uh, just and USAC posted us and just got a, a lot of publicity, publicity from it. And with me not having a lot of laps in a sprint car, um, or a 410 sprint at that, um, there was a lot of people that were pretty impressed. So, um, they, they 
they asked me like, Hey, uh, we got this car. You want to run it? We, we push you in it. So, um, really I just, uh, just get whatever I could get in really after that deal. And I got to race for uh, Brandon gray at the, the, uh, get your ass to Pokemon race the night before the show. Uh, what was it? Not, not showdown, but the smackdown. And, um, we went uh 14th to second before blowing a motor, which was kind of a sad deal. We were fast that night, but, um, after that, uh, just, just more and more people were, were calling me up and asking me about what, like what my plans were and whatnot for next year. And then I got, that's when I got pretty much approached by Ken after that. So in a way how that go. played out. Yeah. Neat deal. So, so at this point you're, you're kind of, we were talking offline a little bit. You guys are getting ready, things ready for next season, but you're also enduring uh winter up here uh <laughs> a little bit and uh how are you dealing with uh, uh our, our winters up here because you're not really that far south from me really um it's it's cold <laughs> i'm not really used to it um yeah we, i wasn't really expecting the snow this early but um oh, neither yeah, were we. texas it rarely snows and if it does snow it's maybe not even an inch high or uh, maybe an inch high but then it melts within a day or so but heck, it snowed four inches. We, um, me and one of our helpers, we had to go to Bennick's shop to get our parts list made up and whatnot. The whole drive up there and back was treacherous. Um, we were going about 40 miles per hour the whole way up there. So it turned our hour and 30 minute drive to a two hour and 30 minute drive. But other than that, it, it's not too bad. I could deal with the snow. I just got to layer up. But other than that, it's not too bad. Just pull the wind back. I actually back kind of enjoy it because I don't, I don't get to see snow too much. So, but it's it's cool. I like it. Yeah, we'll 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 ask you that question again in April. See, see what you say at that point. Yeah, real, yeah, real, for sure. Real, realistic, <laughs> realistic expectations for your first year on the on the tour. What would it take for you to consider this first season a success? Um, really, for me, I'd like to get. My goal is win a race, of course. Uh, I don't want to go out there and not not win, but you always got to shoot for that. Um, the biggest thing really is to try to get rookie of the year. That would definitely be a neat, pretty a neat, neat deal to get. Um, really, just that. Don't tear up equipment. Um, <laughs> car hunters don't really like that. So, uh, just getting seat time is my biggest deal. Just uh, get laps and. I think we will be competitive, so uh, I guess we'll find out soon. There's probably a kid checking out the website right now that watches cool videos on YouTube and might want to be a non-wing racer in Indiana. If you're going to tell maybe a, a 12 or 13-year-old kid that might be having some success in the lower ranks about your journey, what piece of advice would you give them that you wish someone had told you before this journey had started? Um, just... Uh call people and ask uh the biggest my biggest problem growing up was uh, i was afraid to ask and um it kind of hurt a few opportunities i would get nervous or i would just kind of shy away from certain opportunities and you know, like just, all you have to do is ask really and just don't quit just keep pushing no matter no matter um what people say there's a lot of people that say oh that's unrealistic expectation or, Oh, you won't do this. You won't do that because you don't have money or whatever, but it's, uh, you just gotta, you just gotta try and just call people and try to talk to as many people as you can. And 
it's tough at times, but you, it's, it's definitely to have help. It's good to have help getting to that point, but, um, you just, uh, just got to keep pushing really. Um, I don't know. I, I kind of got, I, I got pretty lucky with Rick Bailey. He's been my mentor now for a good six years, but it's, uh, he, he, uh, he's one of the big reasons why I'm, I'm doing what I'm doing, but he taught me a lot and he taught me to always focus, never quit, don't get in trouble and just keep pushing. So that's really the biggest advice I would, I would have to get. And I think you've gotten over the not asking thing because uh, you're in a pretty good spot. Well, Anton, I appreciate the uh, time doing the interview. Best of luck getting ready for the 2020 season. And make sure to stay warm and you know, layer up pretty good and you'll be fine. Oh, yeah. Trust me. I'm inside and I have two hoodies on. So, <laughs> But, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm used to it. It'll be an interesting winter because uh, I've heard it's supposed to get worse. But I guess we'll have to see. All right. Well, Anton, thanks for the time. I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Talk to you later. That's going to do it for this edition of the TJSlideways.com podcast. Thank you to my co-host, Trevor Hollis, and our guest, Anton Hernandez, for joining us tonight. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, the Google Play Store, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and on Podbean. And please, feel free to leave us a review. Let us know how we're doing and what you might want to see in the future. Thank you for listening to the TJ Sideways Podcast. We do appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the TJ Sideways Podcast.